Good morning, church. It is an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Thank you for being here. You could be a lot of other places this morning, but you chose to be in church. I think you made the right choice. Would you agree? Be in the Father's house. I think that's a pretty good place to be. There's a lot of places you could be, a lot of things you could be doing, but you chose to be here. And so I am grateful for that. Tim's on vacation, and he asked me to share this morning, and like I said, it's an honor, it's a privilege, but I do have a confession to make. I confess that I'm a bit of a control freak. I'm going to say that again. I confess I'm a bit of a control freak. There, I said it. It's out. You are all now privy to my inner workings. (laughs) I like to be in control. I like to be in control of my time, my schedule, my life. I usually have a plan, and I want to try to stick to it. Anybody else identify? Speaking anybody's language? I saw some spouses look at their spouses just now. Church, this is not an excuse for you to use church to accuse your husband or wife. This is an internal thing. (laughs) Maybe you can have that conversation later, maybe. But I like to control. It's just in me. And those who are close to me will attest. I like to talk through things. Like, what do you want to do on Saturday? Let's make a plan. There's a solid I have 60% in my notes, but it's probably more like 95% chance that I've said those words more to my wife than I love you in the past year. Let's make a plan. We got four kids. If we don't make a plan, chaos ensues. I used to be more flexible, though. And I look back and I think, why? What happened? Why am I so, like structure-oriented, when I used to be more flexible with my time, flexible with this thing in my life that never really goes away, in mine or yours, the dreaded interruptions of life. In fact, it's really hard for me to do this right now, not the vulnerability part. I've always been pretty open with people, but the whole idea of deviating from the standard formula of how I deliver a message. Now, whether I'm speaking to kids, middle school, high school, or adults, I usually follow a pretty standard plan and formula. But I'm trying to do something different today. Because of something that the Lord's been teaching me, I want to do something that He wants. And not necessarily something that I want. And that's hard, to be honest. With my standard formula, you see, what I do is I usually start with an illustration or a story, desire to draw you in, to gather your attention, so that you connect. Connect to the message, be tuned in, maybe even connect to my personality a little bit, try to identify with you. But there's problem number one. It's me taking control. 
and making it about me and what I want. But newsflash, it's not about me. Newsflash, say it with me, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about what he wants. Like, I could just finish right there. That's a message in and of itself, right? You all want to just be early for lunch? (laughs) I saw some hands go up. No judgment. Like, I'm with you. Cracker Barrel is calling my name right now. But it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And this platform, this atmosphere should be about desiring to connect with him and desiring to connect with his message and what he desires for us. Now, I know this may feel a little bit like a a Jeff therapy session so far, but don't worry. I'm going somewhere with it. And I know that this room isn't necessarily designed for that, but I do know this. If you're taking notes, this is your first fill in the blank. God is all for interruptions. He's all for things changing. He's all for using people through the power of the Holy Spirit at strategic times to break through into our lives. Pivotal moments that may even set a course, reset a course, direction, mindset, or possibly even our future. And those are big words, but guess what? We serve a big God. You know, he's been teaching me a lot about this lately, this idea of being interrupted and things being different than I had planned. Maybe that you experienced some of that this week. You hear about it all the news all the time, right? Well, how could that be God's plan? Well, you know what? Sometimes God uses things in our lives and things in our world to wake us up, to interrupt us from our slumber. Now, I'm not saying that terrible, evil things that happen in our world are God's plan. But what I am saying is that we serve a God who makes good out of all things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And he will interrupt your life and wake you up. The question is, am I listening? So he's been teaching me a lot, which maybe means he wants to teach you too. Maybe it's due to your or my desire to control and plan. Maybe he has something bigger on the horizon for each of us that we just don't see yet. Maybe it's just simply because he loves us. And he wants the best for us. Maybe you're the parent of a child, speaking of interruptions. Maybe you're the parent of a child or multiple children, like me. You guys knew you weren't going to hear from me without hearing about my kids, right? It's just not possible. And you're like, yes, I totally get interruptions because I live a life interrupted. 
So here, here are a few examples, maybe just from my own life. Maybe you can relate if you're a parent or a grandparent or you've been there. Daddy, what's the Netflix password? Daddy, make me a turkey sandwich. Daddy, how many sleeps until summer vacation? Daddy, how many sleeps until my birthday, even though it's seven months away and I can't do that math? Or the dreaded, Daddy, I need help with my math homework. Oh. You know that math homework that they've changed since we were kids? And now, like, it makes you feel like a failure as a human being if you try to help them with their third grade math and you can't do it? That dreaded daddy? <laughs> daddy, my, my friends and I made plans, and now I need you to drive me to the other side of town in five minutes and then pick me up two hours later. Well, there goes the whole afternoon. Daddy, listen to this joke. Oh, you know the one that I've heard you tell me seven times in the last 12 minutes? That one? Yes, let me listen to you. The generic, daddy, I need help. Help because one of my kids just doesn't want to put their own pants on. I'll let you try to figure out which of the children of mine that one is. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to let you try to figure that one out. Daddy, watch this. Watching them do a new trick on the scooter out front or the swing set in the back for the seventh time today. Again, just like the joke. Daddy, I'm still hungry. Remember that turkey sandwich I just made you like five minutes ago? You're hungry again? How? It never ends. Like, can I just be honest for a second? Like, it's hard. I just want to read a book. I just want to watch TV. I just want, I just want to go on. Some, how many parents out there, like, escape by, like, going on a walk with your, your husband or your, or your wife or you get on a bike ride? You're just like, we're going to go. We're, we're just going to go. You're in charge. We'll see you maybe tonight. Maybe not. <laughs> no, but right, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I absolutely adore my children, and, and I love helping them. But parents and grandparents, and oh my goodness, anyone who works with children, can I get a witness? I think they have parent, grandparent, guardian, teacher is finally sitting down to rest radar. I can't sit for two seconds before there's a need, which means... To them, at least, I am available all the time, 24 hours a day. Maybe you're not the parent of a child. Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you never had kids or your kids are all grown up. So your interruptions look different than mine. Maybe they're like this. You're working in your office on that important thing, that coworker that loves to chat pops in. Now, you love that coworker a lot, but they're notorious. They take forever to tell a story. They end up in your office for an hour or six. You know they'll completely ruin the productivity of your day. You may even miss a deadline. What do you do? Your friend FaceTimes you or calls you, but you know they're just going to talk about themselves or bring you into drama that you don't want to be a part of. So you are debating whether you answer it or you just ghost them altogether so you can do something you want to do and avoid it. Or maybe your washing machine breaks and doesn't get fixed for six months. <laughs> oh, wait. That's me. All this to say interruptions are a part of everyone's lives. It's inevitable. What isn't, though, is your choice in how you respond. Let's look at some examples of interruptions in the Bible and maybe something we can learn about them. That maybe interruptions are actually a gift. And I know that sounds crazy. And how they possibly could be the one thing that we don't have time to ignore. 
Let's dive in. Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector. He's just doing his thing. Sitting in his posh tax collecting booth, getting rich, making everybody else angry. When something happens, Jesus passes by and says to him two words. What are they? Follow me. So what does Matthew do? Does he ignore this Jesus and go about his day? Does he pack up all of his money and take it to the bank before he leaves so he has a comfortable nest egg to fall back on in case this whole following Jesus thing doesn't work out? You know, like how many professional athletes' parents do you think have that conversation with them? Well, you might want to have a backup plan. Or does he go ask for his boss's permission? Those all sound like pretty reasonable responses to an interruption of this magnitude, right? Well, let's see what Matthew did from his own account. Found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, he said this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. No delay. He got up, followed him. Just like that. Like, this is a pretty major interruption. And Matthew's just like, yeah, cool, all right, I'll follow you, let's go. Now, I'm sure there was something going on, like, they're not going to write all the details, but like, what about all of his stuff? Remember, Matthew was pretty well off, wasn't he? And while Matthew doesn't say anything in his account, we know what happens from the account of Luke's gospel. You know, Luke, the doctor, the detail guy. If you want details, go to Luke. Here's what he said, and it's found in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, if you're confused, that's just Matthew in Hebrew. Like, it's the same guy, it's the same name. Sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Did you catch it? Luke let us know that Matthew left everything. He left it all, his house, his riches, everything, just left it, turned his attention away from his comfort and his current daily responsibilities to something that was greater, eternal. So what can we learn? In our notes, we can be reminded that when faced with interruption of any kind, we are to turn our attention to that which is eternal. We all have tons of interruptions in our daily life, and some may seem larger than others, but I can promise you one thing. Every single time we have an interruption, we have a choice. We have a choice in every single interruption to choose what is temporary and possibly shiny and of this world, or to choose that which is eternal. And that's hard especially when you're sitting on the couch for the first time in 16 hours and somebody needs a turkey sandwich. <laughs> we always have a choice. Which leads us to our next example of interruption. You may have heard of this guy. He was the one who called Matthew. His name was Jesus. His name is Jesus. The name will always be Jesus. The name above all names. The king above all kings. Jesus' life was riddled with interruptions. Honestly, it is fair to say that his life 
and ministry was largely a response to interruptions. Is that a fair statement? He lived his life constantly being interrupted. And I can't help but be in awe of how Jesus handled interruptions. We could literally spend weeks. This could be a year-long series at Woodland called The Interruption of Jesus or The Interrupted Life. Like, there are so many, but I believe there's one that I want to use today to remind us of some, something. I think that it is very, very important. One that I'm praying is a reminder to me. One that might actually shift perspective into seeing that God may be up to something. In Matthew chapter 14, we learn that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded at the order of King Herod. When Jesus finds out about it, he's, of course, sad because, you know, he's a human being, too. And like many of us, when sad, he wanted to be alone. So what does he do? He gets in a boat and withdraws to a place of solace and quiet. But a large group of people desiring to be with Jesus and desiring to hear from Jesus and desiring to be healed by Jesus follow him on foot around the water to the other side. Now, just imagine the scene. Jesus is sad, wants to be alone. He's in the boat, and then he's seeing all these people. (laughs) He's nearing the shore. He's seeing all these people. This crowd is gathered, waiting to meet him. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty frustrated. I'd be like, I just got away from y'all. I need some time. And seeking time alone, I would want to be alone. That's the reason why I went to be alone. But let's see what Jesus did in Matthew 14, 14. One sentence, so much truth. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Wait, I thought you wanted to be alone, Jesus. I'm sorry, but that wasn't the plan, Jesus. You were supposed to be alone, Jesus. But he's not sad that he's no longer alone. He's not frustrated. He has what? Compassion. He sees a need, has compassion on them, and he begins to heal and deliver them. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus' response is different than like yours or mine would be? Because guess what? You and I are the people on the other side of that water. We are the people who are following Jesus around and being like, Jesus, wait, wait, I need help. Help me. Heal me. Save me. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't see you as an interruption? Aren't you glad that he doesn't see you as someone to just dismiss because he's tired of dealing with it? That's how I respond to a lot of interruptions in my life. So what can we see about Jesus? When faced with interruption, we are to reflect Christ's compassion, not our frustration. Now, like, let's just be honest. Is this easy? No. This is, like, this is interactive, people. Like, it's okay to say something. Like, is this easy? No. You're like, wait, but Jesus is God, so like, he can do things that I can't do. Guess what? If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to do things that you could not naturally do on your own. So when you and I say, this is too hard, I can't do this, what you're saying is, my God is not big enough. What I'm saying is, I'm not really sure that you are who you say you are. 
And I'm sorry if I'm getting loud, but this is really important. I'm getting loud because I need the inside of my brain to hear what I'm saying, not just the inside of your brain. I need the inside of my heart to hear what I'm saying, not just the insides of your heart. We have to reflect Christ's compassion, not our frustration. Like, honestly, we could go on and on. There's so many interruptions in the Bible. The boy Samuel asleep when God spoke audibly in his room. Crazy things happened. Moses watching his sheep when a strange burning bush catches his attention. We all know what happened after that. Like the man literally led a nation out of slavery from a moment of interruption. Mary was just going about her life as a young woman when an angel appeared to her and literally changed everything, the world, from a moment of interruption. What would y'all do if you were just sitting in your first century living room and all of a sudden this angel appeared and you're like this 14-year-old girl, 15-year-old girl, and you're just like, what is happening right now? (laughs) That interruption didn't just change the trajectory of the world, it changed your hearts and your eternal destination. From a moment of interruption in a teenager's life, So let let me just get to my main point. I'm just going to be honest. I'm hoping today will be an interruption in my life and your life. Anyone listening, an awakening, an opportunity for fresh perspective. Now listen, I am not naive enough to believe that a few words spoken from this pulpit with this little microphone thingy on my face is going to change the trajectory of your life. But I do believe that the words of the creator of the universe have the power and the ability to change the trajectory of your life. So you can either hear these as words from a person sitting on a, standing on a platform, or you can hear them as words of our creator saying, I desire to interrupt your life. I desire for more. So the real question is, is, are we listening? Am I listening? I'm not really sure if I am. Am I willing to be interrupted? Like, what does that look like? Okay, God, can you give me, like, what it's going to look like in six months so I know what I'm getting into? And he's like, no. No. I just need you to trust me. I'll come back to this in a bit, but I'd like to shift gears for a second. Can I ask you guys a question? I just, I just want you to be honest. Are you like me in this way? I play a little game in my head called what if. Do you guys do this? It's like you'll just be sitting around. If, you, if you've got a moment where you're not being interrupted, maybe you're being interrupted by your own thoughts. Like, I think back to the story of my life, both the private and the public parts of my life, and I ask myself questions. Like, what if I had gone to that college instead of this college? What if I had been chosen to get that promotion? What if I had not had that first drink? What if I had won that like huge jackpot in the lottery 15 years ago? How would my life look different? What if I had asked that girl out? Well, I did, and I'm married to her, so that worked out. What if I had not gone to that party that I knew I shouldn't have gone to, and that led to dark places? What if I had said no? Just no. Like, like, I don't feel like I have to give a reason, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm just sorry, I just can't do that. 
What if I had chosen to have that hard conversation instead of just avoiding it? Gosh, there's so many of those. Are you like me? The what ifs? It's easy for us to step away from our current reality for a moment to daydream about all of that. And I can almost see, like, as I'm saying these things, the thought bubbles popping up in top of your heads, like, boop, <laughs> boop, boop. While it may be fun to spend a moment or two, it's actually more helpful if we just reframe the way we look at it. We need to move from what if thinking to because of thinking. Like, I got, I got to reframe it. Like, instead of what if, I start saying, well, because of. Instead of thinking of what if could, like things that could have happened, what if I look back, and I just, what if I look back and I say, well, because of this moment and what God did in it, I am here. Now, that, that moment could have been a really difficult, painful season of your life, but you can go back and you can look and you can say, well, because of that, my God brought me here. We need to stop asking the what if questions and we need to start saying because of. When we do this, we think about moments in a deeper way. Those pivotal moments, moments where we maybe changed our minds, moments where maybe something happened and it changed everything. But you know what's interesting about most of those moments that you're probably thinking of right now in your life? Go ahead and think of one. It probably was not planned. It was probably an interruption of some sort in your life, especially if it was a bad thing, right? An interruption to my comfort, an interruption to my plans, but guess what? God loves a holy interruption. So here's what I believe to be true about these moments. Two things. Two things behind each of those moments in your life. God, like he was there calling you, guiding you, leading you, whether you realized it or not, he was there. And two, someone who showed up. Someone who had an impact on who you are today because they were there in that moment. Someone who showed up for you in a way that changed the trajectory of your life. I am so confident that if you think of those moments, that there is a person behind that, that I had inserts made up for you inside your your weekly guide that I'd like for you to take out now. This is going to be interactive for a few minutes. I want you to write down the name of a person, a because of this person. I am who I am today. Now, it could be to do with your faith. It could be a reason why you're sitting in this room. I don't know. And this is actually really important because so often we just drift through life moving forward, staying busy, creating plans, trying to avoid interruptions, that we don't make time to stop. Think about how we got here or who God used to help us get here. Now, I have, in my own life, I have significant relationships, which I'm going to share with you in a minute, but I wanted to invite some of my friends to join me today. We're going to do something a little different. I've got four friends that I love, I work with, one I'm married to, and they're going to come up on the platform and they're going to give you their because ofs. And they're going to share with you why that person changed their life. 
and how God used them to change their life. And that takes some guts. So we're going to give them a big welcome every time one of them joins us on the platform. So we're going to start with my awesome friend, Sammy Duran. Thank you, Jeff. You know, when Jeff asked me, you know, to think of my because of someone, one name specifically came to mind. Her name is Tina Glazier. Now, Tina is my grandmother, and because she answered God's call, God's urging, I'm here today. See, I grew up in the church, but in middle school, I went through a little bit of a drifting period. Was on definitely on a path I was not honoring to God. But it was my grandmother, Tina, who during a church service, pastor was making announcements like, hey, this is the last day to register for youth camp. I had zero desire to go because I, again, was drifting on my own path. But she just felt something. She leaned forward. She's like, I'm going to pay for you to go to camp because I think this is what you're supposed to do. And I was like, okay, grandma, sure, whatever. And I am so grateful. And I tell her this, every time I see her, I thank her. Because it was at that camp I realized I was on a path, <laughs> a destructive path. I realized I had not been living, I've been living my life for myself, not for God. It was at that youth summer camp that I rededicated my life. Did a complete 180 and started following him. It was because of my grandmother answering that call that many events later, but it led me here to Woodland. And so I'm so grateful for that. That is my because of. And now I'd like to introduce my friend Kim McCauley to the stage. Stay here. All right. Thanks, Sammy. <laughs> so in the fall of 1999, I was a junior at Purdue University, and um, I had gotten invited by my sorority sister to go to something called Greek University. And we were going on Tuesday mornings to the Union to learn about Bible study and just kind of get in the Word. And, and Mark Holtz was the because of Mark Holtz story. Mark Holtz had the task from God to convince me, Kim Elmore, that I was a sinner. And I thought, oh, Mark, sinners? Sinners are people who go to church and they, like, feel bad about themselves. And then after they go, they feel better. I don't want to. I'm not a sinner. What am I doing wrong? That's not for me. And another Tuesday morning, Mark would try to convince me. And I'd say, Mark church is this place, it's like a glorified country club where people check off a Sunday and then they can just be hypocrites Monday through Saturday. It's not for me. Have you seen me? I, I don't need God. I'm totally fine on my own. I'm doing things really well and I just don't think that's a route for me. So he, I love the Bible and I love learning about Jesus, but the church part, no thanks. So he said, Kim, if I get a tub of water in front of you and I fling in a fleck of dirt, is the water dirty? And I sat there and obviously, logically, yes, it's dirty. Obviously, I got the message, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus to save me. And I stood up and I walked out. Weeks went by, finally the Holy Spirit convicted me, and he said, you know, you need to go back and tell Mark that you, he was right, that you are a sinner, and now you get it. So I, I went back and I told Mark, I said, listen, sorry for the interruption of me pulling out and, and dismissing your conversation, but I'm ready, I'm all in. I totally get it now. So I'm thankful for the time that Mark took to actually tell me when um, in the middle of my comparative righteousness stage of life, comparing myself to others, well, if I'm better than you, then I really don't need to be going to church. If I'm better than you, you need to go, but not me. I needed to hear that from him, so I'm thankful that he had the guts to do that. So next we're going to hear from Connor Long. 
you. So when I was 16 years old, I was really good of, at being all things to all people. Um, and I was great about you know, being this person to this group of friends and this person to this group of friends. And I was really, really good about being the really good Christian kid to my church. And through that, when I was 16 years old, uh, we had a new youth pastor at the time that came. And he was a little bit different. And he kind of saw through me a little bit. And he challenged me and asked me to lead a small group of middle school students at our summer camp. If you've ever been a small group leader for middle school students, it is a humbling experience, let me tell you that. And so when I went that summer, it changed my life because I was hit with the question every single night as I was talking to these middle school students and I was telling them about Jesus, do you believe what you're saying? Or are you just giving them a lip service every night? And it was in that moment and, and that week that I was saved, and I came into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. And because of my youth pastor growing up, his name is Jeff McCauley, maybe you've seen him before, um, I'm able to be here today. And so thank you, Jeff, for seeing the potential in a 16-year-old boy. Thank you for seeing my passion for the Lord and channeling it into a purpose. Thank you for showing me what it looks like to live a life on mission every single day and for showing me what it looks like to live with a passion and a purpose for Jesus. If it was not for you, I would not be standing here today and having the opportunity to share my faith and my love for Jesus with other high school students. So thank you. Hello, I'm Danielle. Um, my Because of You is actually a couple um, that about 15 or 16 years ago uh, came into my husband and I's life as a newly dating young couple. Their names are Darian and Yolanda Colbert, and we went to church with them. And they modeled for us what it meant to truly love God, love others, and do something about it just by the way that they lived on mission for Christ as a couple, as a married couple, and as they were uh, parents of four kids. And they invited us to just do life alongside of them, real, authentic, everyday life. Um, and they befriended us and took us under their wings. They invited us to follow them as they followed Christ. They showed us things like the value of serving our church, um, the value of being part of a small group. They just said, come on, Friday night, you're coming along. You're going to small group with us. And the value of pouring into the next generation. They were a part of the youth ministry, and they um, poured out their lives for teenagers, which rubbed off on us and caused us to love teenagers too. They lived sacrificially in everything that they did, and they went out of their way to interrupt our lives to say, come on, you're going to do it with us. Everything from um, going to a teenager's house and hanging out with them, they'd call us up and say, come on, come with us. If they were going to visit someone in the hospital, if they were visiting a high school, um, whatever they were up to, they just asked us to be a part of it with them. Um, they would pray anywhere, anytime. Like, I'm telling you, like, if we were just talking about something, they would say, let's pray about it. And they'd bow their heads and they'd start praying. And that was contagious to us and taught us that we can truly talk to God anytime, anywhere, about anything. 
And they spoke into our gifts, still trying to discover what the Lord wanted to do with our lives and with our marriage. They were bold enough to tell us what they saw in Angel and I and speak into us and encourage us to pursue whatever plans the Lord had for our lives. Um, they really stirred a passion for ministry in us, and they showed us, just by modeling it, what a truly devoted life means. Um, and their impact and their influence in our lives has stuck with us all the way through. Thank you, guys. Those were beautiful. I, I promise I did not make Connor say that. He chose to say those words I did not know. <laughs> There's power in looking back, right? See what the Lord's done. Like I said, I have a few, or I have many, but a few stand out. Looking back, here's what I'd say to them. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for always showing up, for always showing me that you cared through your presence, for being present at every musical performance, soccer game, basketball game, football game, and track meet. I honestly cannot remember one that you were not both at. For interrupting my games, even with your screams from the crowd or stands, which at the time were very embarrassing, but now it only reminds me that you've always been for me. If not for your faithfulness and showing support, I might not have realized that the Lord is also for me. And if he is for me, then who can be against me? That he is always present and supporting, regardless of my performance or how well I'm doing. He's always in the stands cheering me on and interrupting my life. Your example in this way helped me to take a very deep spiritual truth and understand it easily as practical in my life. Thank you, Mark Holtz, same Mark that Kim talked about, for interrupting my desire to do it my way and keep God at an arm's length, for taking time out of your life to sit me down every single week and show me what it means to follow Jesus by opening the word of God even when I had no interest and showing me how to read it by sharing with me how it can change my life, for showing me my need for Jesus. If not for you, Mark, I would not have a relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Richard Israel, for giving me opportunities, for interrupting my young life of potential selfishness and val with value and purpose, for giving a young 22-year-old the keys to a student ministry as a volunteer, for believing in me and Kim, for trusting the Lord and his plan for our lives. If not for you, I might not have realized that God could use me and my teaching skills to have a profound and eternal impact on students' lives. And finally, thank you, Mark Stevens, for being obedient to what the Lord told you about when it came to my future, for interrupting my comfortable life as a public school teacher with summers off, that's big, for speaking prophetically over my life and into my life that I was to go into ministry, for not waiting Neither of us could have known that you'd be with Jesus just a few months later. Without your words of encouragement to go into ministry, I probably would not be standing on this platform today. You see, friends, God is in the interruptions. I stand before you today. They stood before you today as testimony to God's interruptions in their lives and in my life. Testimony of how he uses people to change the trajectory of lives. But it's easy to forget. 
that God, somewhere in the span of days in your life in the past, God used someone, people, persons, who saw your potential and thought it was worth pouring into, who thought that you could use a better story, who thought you deserved a second, third, fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth chance, who thought you could use a role model or mentor, who thought you could use a friend, who saw that you needed Jesus. If you had people who did that for you, like those of us who just shared, then you understand why those people are so important. And if you didn't, you probably understand it even more. Just like the people in ancient times developed their view of God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, you and I, we have developed a sense of who God is because we have met the God of Mark, the God of Richard, the God of Tina, the God of Jeff, the God of Darian and Yolanda. God uses people. That's the point. He always has. He always will. Sometimes we forget the God of the Bible is the God of the people of the Bible. He has always used people to demonstrate his story of redemption. Please don't miss this. People can't really see God. People can't really see Jesus. People really can't see the Holy Spirit, but guess what people can see? People can see people who follow Jesus. People can see the church. People can see God working in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. People can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people who even when life seems not worth living, still have joy. So the best way for anyone, you, me, anyone, but especially a kid or a teenager or a young adult to know Jesus is to connect them with someone who knows Jesus. The best chance someone may have to personally see God is to get a close-up look at the people who follow him. So I guess my question for you today is how will you do that for someone else? How will you respond to this interruption? How will you become a because of for someone else? Now listen, I know we're running a little late, but sometimes God needs to hold us for a minute. Here at Woodland, we believe in the statement, every day matters. You've heard it, you've seen it. Every day is a great day to love God, love people, and do something about it. And like I said, I'm a follow-up kind of guy. I like a plan. I need a challenge. So I'd like to ask you a simple question, the question I'm asking myself. If every day really is a great day to love God, love people, and do something about it, what am I doing? Maybe you're already doing a lot. Maybe you're already serving in one of our ministries here at Woodland or making an impact on a field or in a classroom, but if you aren't, or if you're feeling the leading of the Holy Spirit today through divine interruption, I would invite you to join the team of people helping this next generation see God. Here's what I know will happen. You will make an impact. You will learn something new. You will make new friends. You will get more out of it than you give. You will become a better spouse, son, daughter, employee, friend, parent, and all-around human being. Here's what I also know. You're not too old. You're not too young. You don't know too little. And you aren't too boring. All you have to be 
is a human being who loves God and knows Jesus, and he'll take care of the rest. That's it. And the act of serving will raise your awareness, will raise your compassion and your sensitivity to divine interruption, especially if you work with middle schoolers. Attached with your because of sheets, you'll find a card. I'm just going to be bold. And if you're feeling interrupted and you're feeling led by the Holy Spirit to do something, I'd invite you to fill that out and leave it on your seat when you leave. You don't need to make a big deal out of it. You don't need to like go flash it in somebody's face. Just leave it on the chair. We'll collect them and by gosh, by golly, we will call you. As you're doing that, I, I want to share a final illustration before we go. As, a, as parents of four, Kim and I are frequently awakened. You know, I talked about an awakening earlier. This is a different kind of awakening. We are frequently awakened in the middle of the night or early in the morning by one or all of our kids. Over the years, the faces have changed, but it continues. I open my eyes to see them standing next to or literally climbing over me into our bed with their eyes locked on mine. It can be startling and honestly a little bit creepy. So I ask what they need, and it's always something like, I'm scared, I had a bad dream, I can't sleep, I'm thirsty, I don't feel good, I'm awake. Whatever the problem is, the remedy is always the same. Grab what they need, then either walk them back to bed or tuck them in again or allow them to climb into bed with us. If I was super spiritual, which I should be because I'm a pastor, I'd probably pray with them, but I usually don't because I'm so tired. I'm just being honest. I distinctly remember complaining about these interruptions many times over the years, but some sobering truth has hit me recently. I've realized that time will soon come when they won't come and stand by my bedside or climb over me any longer. The interruptions will cease. The time will soon come when they won't bring their bad dreams, hungry bellies, or stuffy noses to me. They'll grow and figure these things out on their own. They'll have new problems, new questions, new fears. And as a father, sometimes I realize, I don't realize, how important it is to be present and available in the little things. I'm complaining about interruptions when I should be embracing them. Which reminds me of this statement from a Christian author, Catherine Wallace. She said, listen, listen earnestly to anything your children want to tell you, no matter what. If you don't listen eagerly to the little stuff when they are little, they won't tell you the big stuff when they are big. Because to them, all of it has always been the big stuff. We have a heavenly father who is so completely interested in the little things. The bad dreams, the hungry bellies, the stuffy noses, they all matter to him. His tender concern over the little things helps us to trust him even more when the big things happen. My children are growing older every day and being their father is changing. However, I have no doubt that someday I will remember and cherish those midnight and early morning visits. I just pray that I see them differently from this point forward rather than just someday. Instead of complaining about the interruptions, I need to learn to embrace them. So, whether it be kids waking us up or life bringing change when we don't want it or being prompted by God to serve in a new way, we shouldn't see interruptions as obstacles to our plan 
but opportunities to embrace his. So will you join me in living the interrupted life and trusting that God may have something bigger in store than what we see and that we actually don't have time to not embrace the opportunities of his interruptions. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for the fact that you teach us each and every day, if we will listen, how to live a life of interruption. Lord, I'm sorry for all the times that I haven't listened to you. I'm sorry for all the times that I haven't listened to the people that you've put in my life. But I do know your word is true. And you will make good out of all things for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So Lord, help us to live a life interrupted so that perhaps we could be the because of for someone else. Not for our glory or a platform for us, but for yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.